Hey, welcome to our first ever Pajama Sunday. I'm so excited about this day, and not just because once and for all we get to settle the debate, it's pronounced pajama, like we all know that, right? But I'm excited about this day because of just what it means for us as the people of God. You know, as God's people, sometimes we come to him and we bring our best. We get dressed up and we show up and we try hard and we do all that sort of stuff. And he meets us in those moments and he honors the way that we serve him. But sometimes we just barely show up, don't we? Uh, Sometimes we just barely roll out of bed and God meets us in those moments too. And what we discover is that his love is as true and as real when we are just dragging ourselves to him as it is when we show up with our best. And so that's kind of what this Sunday is about. I hope you slept in. I hope however you are dressed this morning that you are just meeting with God just as you are in your living room around the city or even around the country. We have some folks tuning in in other cities. As I've reflected on this year, uh, this, the last Sunday of 2021, I, I honestly don't know what to say about this year. I don't know if you could relate to that. This has been a year like no other, and it has followed a year like no other. And so uh, I, I just find myself saying again and again, well, I, I don't know what to say about this. Uh, I am really comforted by where we've been in the Minor Prophets. They are people who spoke in to the minds and the hearts of God's people when God's people didn't know what to say. Um, and it's been so fun studying those these last few months with you. I thought we would just end this year on this last Sunday with some words from the minor prophets. They said a lot of hard things to the people of God. They challenged the people of God. They pushed them towards the dream that God has for us. But always, even in that challenge, even in the midst of the hard things, there was some hope. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Micah said some very hard things to God's people, but his last few lines are so precious. He says in chapter 7, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot. You will hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. And he's speaking into this really complex moment in the kingdom of Judah where people didn't understand what was happening to them. And he says a lot of things about what was happening and why it was happening, but he ends with this promise of hope that one day our God, our God himself, will deal with our issue of sin. And I think it's important that in these moments when we are confused and when we maybe don't even know what to make of the year, um, that, that we fix our eyes and fix our hearts on the hope that we have in God. Uh, I, I don't know how you feel about this last year. You might have a lot of frustration. You might have had a lot of hard things this last year. You might have had a lot of great things. Regardless of where you find yourself this Sunday, I want us together to fix our hearts on the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And we're going to do that through some readings in the Minor Prophets. They speak about the hope that we have in such poetic and eloquent ways. I just want us to meditate on some of these words together this morning. Let's go to God and let's fix our hearts on the hope that we have. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh 
and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. We stepped into Jonah's story this fall and quickly learned this book is steeped in satire and irony. Jonah is a staunch religious believer, highly patriotic, who values justice. And yet, he embodies all the weakness of the people of God. He did not want to follow through on the prophetic mission given to him. He was reluctant. At, time, at times, Jonah appears like a spoiled and privileged child. All he sees is his own condition. Jonah desires God to be his personal savior, and all he is focused on is his own agenda. He makes himself miserable because he cannot set aside the things he cares about to pick up what God cares about. Jonah wants a God of his own making, not a merciful God. He misunderstood what God was asking him to do. God wasn't asking him to save Nineveh, that was God's job. He just wanted Jonah to show up and prophesy. Jonah is a fascinating book, and it is also provocative. It is meant to be. It is meant to provoke God's people to wrestle with some hard things, for we too struggle with the things Jonah did. We all at times get angry at God for not catering to our desires, and while most of us are more polite about it than Jonah, it is probably no less ugly. But we learn Jonah discovers this God who is focused on the whole world, did, not, did care for him personally. God was not indifferent to Jonah. He loved him. He protected and led Jonah. He was not in any way motivated by Jonah's preference and bias. God was motivated by his own plan to redeem the world. And what God wanted was to get Jonah involved in his plan. We can walk daily with these truths from Jonah's story. God loves us deeply. He is not motivated by what we want. He cares about our hearts. But his work is about redeeming the whole world. God is not our personal God. God is not our national God. God is the God of the world. God is not just a telling God. He is a question-asking God. If we want to hear his voice grow, we must learn to uncover and entertain his questions. God wants to lift our eyes from our agenda to his agenda. Our prayer today is, may we submit our preferences and biases to God, who is at work in the whole world. May we settle into the joy found in working for him and try not to manipulate him to work for us. May our families, marriages, and relationships exist for the purpose of God, not the other way around. May we stop asking God to get involved in our good ideas. May we join him in his ideas. May we embrace how deeply he cares for us. May we know life is held in the agenda of God. May we release the things we are holding onto too tightly. May we serve a savior who is with us even when we run. May we grasp clearly that we are not the saviors of this world. We are not the hero of our story. God is the hero. May we see ourselves like Jonah, like the Israelites did, a stunning picture of God's mercy for us, as well as those we feel are least deserving. May we understand we are not the people of God because we are special. We are the people of God because he is merciful. May we allow God's amazing mercy to flow through us to other people. And in closing, may we like Jonah, despite our limited understanding, embrace this truth that God is gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Together we respond, amen. May it be so. Amos 4.13 says, He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, the Lord God Almighty is his name. Within this prophet, Amos, we see a God who is passionate that every person be treated justly, and he expects his people to call out injustice. After all, God himself is perfectly just. Justice is his nature. To lean into Amos' message 
takes humility and open-heartedness. His words seem harsh and holds little to nothing back when confronting God's people about injustice. Amos says, you, God's people, think you are doing okay, but you are tolerating all kinds of injustice. And if you do not change, God is going to tear down everything you've built. For God said, the whole earth is mine, but I choose you people to set up a society like no other with love, equality, justice. But now I'm going to have to step in like a parent because you are not listening to me. The strongest language God uses in the book of Amos is not about the people's sin. It's about their worship while tolerating injustice. Worship isn't about liking God. Worship is about aligning with God. Amos is not telling us to be perfect and worship harder. He is saying, start fixing the problems that are making certain people vulnerable because God is for those vulnerable people. Amos says a lot about the disasters that God's people face, and he pushes us to consider they are a part of God's good intention for his people. He teaches us about grief, grief over our broken world, and how longing for something more is worship. Where is God in the disasters of our life? Does he cause them as judgment on people? What about suffering? These questions make us uncomfortable and we must wrestle with the truths of whom we believe our God to be. Our prayer today is this. In our worship, may we care about justice and work against injustice. Whenever we evaluate injustice, may we always choose God's standard and not the earthly standard. May we make this world a better place for vulnerable people. May we always be aware of who is missing around us and from our communities. May we care for them as God would. As believers, may we do what the prophets did and not compare ourselves to others on earth, but may we compare ourselves to God and his justice. May we stop and ask God where he is calling us to serve within, within the injustices of this world. And when he answers, may we step in and attempt to close the gap. May we grieve the brokenness in this world. May we believe spiritual disasters can be reshaped into spiritual opportunity. May we focus on the good questions Amos leads us to when we are being shaken. Where is God in this? And what is he leading me to? May we somewhere within the troubles of our lives believe in holy ground, that the presence of God is there, present with us. It's the with that makes it holy. May we look for the holy all around us, a graveside, a bedside, a doctor's office, an emergency room, a classroom, a text message, a pulpit, a heartbreaking conversation, a dark, long night. May we believe the lasting words of life and hope because God is always working to move us from death to life, even when he, we seem bent on our own destruction. May we always hold firm and believe in this faithful and personal God. The Lord will do these things. He will repair, redeem, and restore. Together we respond, amen. May it be so.
Sing it again, sing. Waymaker. Waymaker. Miracle worker. Promise keeper. Light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Sing it in faith, sing. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop. Oh no, you never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. This fall, we were invited into the book of Hosea, written at a time when people's hearts and their behavior were far from God. We often believe this is a story focused on the marriage between God's prophet Hosea and a woman named Gomer, but the book is really not about their marriage. Hosea and Gomer are a picture of a deeply broken relationship between God and his people. God wanted his people to see how much he longed for them so that they would return to his love. And to illustrate that, he goes to the prophet Hosea, asking him to step into a very dysfunctional and one-sided marriage. This marriage describes what God often gets from us, which is less than the voluntary love he desires. Marriage is the metaphor that is constantly used to describe God and us. And in order to understand Hosea, we return to the beginning, to the garden, to Adam and Eve, and to a tree. It goes back to the truth that God had a dream for us and for himself. It is the dream that we were created for all that we deeply long for, whether we know it or not. It is what he says to his people in Exodus 19. Out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. 
although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This dream is a relationship with God of love and intimacy, all of us and all of him together. Healthy dependence on him and healthy interdependence with each other. That dream is not about control or fear. It is about voluntary love. It's why there was that tree in the Garden of Eden, the one that they weren't supposed to eat from. You see, God's dream was not to threaten us into obedience or control us like robots so that we would never have a choice in the matter. Those ideas are incompatible with the dream of God of this intimate love with his people. That's why the tree in the garden was more than just a tree. It was the option to not choose God. And if that option was not given to us humans, then it would never truly be voluntary love. And as risky as it was to put that tree in the garden, without it, God's dream that he would love us and we would love him back could never happen because we would never have had a choice. God tells Hosea the truth from the beginning. This woman, Gomer, will be unfaithful. But nevertheless, God wants him to love her. And Hosea does. With this illustration, God reveals his longing for us as his people and the pain that he feels when we reject him. He speaks about his deep pain with these people. And he promises that there is coming a day when it's not going to be like this. This dynamic of control and fear will go away. And what will be left will be the beautiful dance of voluntary love. And that is really what this book is about. It's about the pain of God and the longing of God and the hope that one day God and his people will find themselves caught up in love for each other. And that day is today. Our prayer today is, may we grow in our hearts and our minds the understanding, God, of how much you love us, that we are your people. We are what you desire. May we hear your voice as the one alluring us, that your voice is the one speaking tenderly to us. May we never take for granted your faithfulness to us. May we embrace that your plan from the beginning was never about punishment or you being our master and us being slaves. It was about loving us. And when we failed you and we chose the other from the tree in the garden, even then you had a plan, not a plan of judgment. It was a plan to woo us back. And that plan was Jesus. May we grasp these truths and live in the understanding that you, you give us a choice to love you voluntarily. May we understand that you, God, have always only ever been a faithful and a loving husband to us. May our hearts and our actions line up. May we choose to love you always. Amen. May it be so. The last prophet, Micah, we studied before our season of Advent was one who ironically spoke of the birth of Jesus. Micah lived in the moments where the Northern Kingdom was destroyed and the Southern Kingdom had been overrun, but survived. The people, full of grief and fear and anger, are wondering how this happened. Micah shows up and answers their questions and lays the blame at the feet of the leaders of their nation. 
He declares they have been self-serving and have used God's people for their own purposes. And while those in power claim that this is what God wanted them to do, Micah reveals an important truth to us. When there are distressed and suffering people, the cause always involves a misuse of power. And then in the turn of a page, Micah begins describing the coming Messiah, the prophecy about Jesus. And in Jesus, Micah describes the leader of God's people, the leader that they need, not the leader God's people deserve. Micah looks through the fog of war, chaos, and grief, and he catches a glimpse of this light. He sees a glimmer of hope coming from Bethlehem. But Micah longs for the people to understand what is coming. He says, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the mighty name of the Lord, his God, they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. He's contrasting the leadership of the coming Messiah with the bad leadership of God's people. Jesus isn't the sort of leader who uses people. He serves the people that he leads, and his greatness is tied to his ability to provide for us security. It is the nature of his strength. It is a caretaking strength, which is why Jesus is called our shepherd. Micah is telling us the personality of the Messiah. He describes what it will feel like to be led by him, and it's beautiful. And in the end, what Micah shares is a summary of everything that all the prophets have been telling God's people for years, that our God is rich in mercy, slow to anger. That is his nature. He loves us because he is love. He is faithful to his core. These prophets have been saying that grace, mercy, and love from God are a free gift, but purpose and the kingdom of God are a project, and he invites us as his people to create it with him. God says, I have never, ever changed what I wanted. I've shown you all along what I'm asking, justice, mercy, humility. Our prayer for today and this coming year is this. May we release the need to take something good and manipulate it to make us feel less pain and experience more goodness. May we, your people, care about the nations and be a light to them. May we exist to nourish the people around us. May we love our enemies and turn the other cheek. May we embrace God, your vision for us of what real power and strength look like. May that strength be deployed with love and sacrifice just like Jesus did on the cross. May we confess the idols in our lives and return to fix our hope on you. May your presence in our lives tear down the substitutes we've embraced. May we see our reflection in a mirror that reveals the cracks in our own souls and in the soul of human society. May we grow in our understanding that your kingdom is a project you have for us, something you invite us and want us to work out with you. May we bring justice to this world. May we extend mercy. May we live in humility. May we do something with our lives beyond just getting to the grave. He has given us the gift of grace. So now with our remaining time on earth, let's get after this. Together we respond. Keep light in the dark.
this, my God, that is who you are. One more time, church, sing Waymaker. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Well, I really love you people. I love that you're part of this church family. I, I hope you'll join us in January as we dive back into the Minor Prophets uh, with the book of Nahum, which is a weird book. We'll have some fun with it. Uh, I want to read this blessing over us as we look forward into the new year. This is what God says to his people in Exodus chapter 19. He's calling them to be his people. And he tells Moses to say this to him. This is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you'll obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to my people. I want to pray that over us today. God has invited us to his dream. Let's pray. God, we as your people, um, we come to you. We want to be a part of this dream you have for us on earth. And so we pray that at Pulpit Rock that we would be caught up in your kingdom here in this place as it is in heaven. I pray that you would give us clear direction, clear leadership on where you want us to invest ourselves. God, I pray that wherever we go as a church family, that we would experience the joy of serving with you and the peace of knowing that you love us and that we are your treasured possession. God, we give ourselves to you and with expectancy and with hope, we are eager to see what you do in this next year. In Jesus' name, amen.